You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, um, I'm going to set us up with a little bit of context um, as we come into uh, Ezra's chapters 9 and 10. I would love to encourage you to have your Jesus book open as we do go through these next few minutes together. Um, we are, uh, we've just covered off last week. A big thank you to Matt Keller who came and preached for us, Ezra 7 and 8. He was basically putting the golf ball on the tee in helping us understand who is Ezra? Who is this dude that this book is about that he only comes in towards the end? Like, come on, man. Like, I thought you were supposed to be the hero. And Ezra 7 and 8, we get a bit of a feel as to why he's a bit of a player in this story. Um, Ezra, he is this big dog in Israel's history. He's like the second Moses, uh, and he leads another, he leads another exile out of Babylonia back to Jerusalem. Except this third exile, this time round, as, as Ezra comes with the people and as he comes with gold and as he comes with the Persian king's blessing, uh, this, this next exile as it comes, it's, it's not straight after the temple has been built or the foundation has been laid. It's years after. It's like 60 years. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool to think about Ezra and his experience as he sat in Babylon and he's been born and, you know, and then he's, he's, he's growing up. He's been a little kid and he's heard of the rumors and the reports, you know, as King Darius has had his time. And then he's heard of like the, the opposition, but then the success of God's people, his national identity as like a Jew in all of that story. And then Ezra, he realizes that he too, he too is a Levite. He's in the priestly line, his, his genealogy, his family tree, like Ezra's been Googling ancestry and he's like, oh, Aaron, he's in my, he's in my lineup. That makes me somewhat significant. So Ezra, Ezra dedicates his life to studying God's word. Uh, there's a really cool little section that we get sort of help, helps with this context, uh, back in chapter seven. Um, Ezra, uh, where is it? Uh, yeah, Ezra gets sent in back to Jerusalem, leading the charge. Um, and that the, and he basically has this great big affirmation from Artaxerxes, the king of the day. And he's just like, uh, it's, it's, he's, it's amazing. It's, it's like, blessed be the God of our fathers who put such a thing into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. It says, Ezra, Ezra saying, I took courage. I took courage. Because the hand of the Lord, well, Lord, my God, was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. So picture Ezra in this time. He's juiced up. He's ready to go. He's gone across the desert. He's got the approval of the king. He's got a whole lot of gold. Come on, he's, he's cashed up as well. And he's going back to Jerusalem. The hand of the Lord is on him and he knows it. He's leading this thing and then he lands in Jerusalem. We saw it at the concluding remarks of Ezra chapter 8. He lands there and he's like, straight to the temple, burnt offerings, sacrifices. It's like, we're going to do this right. We're here, God. We're in the city, the holy city. It's, it's up now. I've been preparing my whole life for this. And then they deliver all of the, all of the goods, you know, all of the, um, all of the gold back into the temple. And then it's, it's pretty cool. And I imagine by this point, if you're Ezra, just like, my whole life has been leading up to this. Back to Jerusalem. Come on, I'm with my people. God's paved the way. I'm ready. And then we get to Ezra chapter 9. I'm going to read for us. 
And um, I'm going to read up to the first part of chapter 2. This is what happens with Ezra after he's made these sacrifices and given the gifts. This is what Ezra now encounters. Chapter 9, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. After these things had been done, sacrifices, delivering of all the things back in the holy city, the officials, the officials approached me. So the people that has come with Ezra, they approached me and said, so they're whispering in Ezra's ear. Okay, Ezra, we've just done a bit of a recce. We've had a bit of a chat and we've seen what's going on on the ground. They've said, um, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, okay, have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with, this is key, with their abominations. They've not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wise for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithfulness, so it's not only the people just doing naughty things, the officials and the chief men have been foremost. Are you serious? The leaders are doing it too. What? What has Ezra just heard right now? Ezra, pumped up, juiced up, back in Jerusalem, new start, studied the law of God, and then the very first thing he gets to after he's got to work is he's like, hey, Ezra, just um, just done a bit of a, um, done a little bit of a, uh, a walk around and chatted to some of the people. And um, turns out, you know the reason why we got exported back to Babylon in the first place for 70 years? We've gone and done it again. Ugh. You had one job. This is how Ezra responds to that news. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment, visual illustration, I'm just kidding, and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Okay, if you didn't pick up on that, Ezra is pretty disappointed. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiled gathered around me while I sat appalled. I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my cloak and spread out my hands to the Lord my God saying, so he's had a moment to, he's had a long time to mourn. He basically, he hears the news. He falls to his knees. He's absolutely gutted. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do anything. He's, I've got nothing. Devastated. And then his first thing that he does is he prays. And it's not a performance. This is just what's on his heart. This is just how this man who's built his whole life up to leading the people to this moment, this is just how he responds. This is how he engages with the one true God. He says, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up from the heavens. Hear this, Ezra, he's not, it's, it's not a bunch of individuals in an individualistic society, you know, 
The sin of other people impacts other people. And Ezra is a part of the people. There's a national identity here. It's important. It's a corporate, it's a community. It's not all, it's not this individualistic society. It's important the way that everyone acts. And Ezra knows that he's a part of this. He bears, he has their blood. He bears their name and he puts himself in their shoes. He hasn't been a part of it, but he bears it. For our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plundering and to utter shame as it is today. So he starts to recount God's mercies to them. But now for a brief moment of favour has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. So he's like, God, we were naughty, but you were good. You were loving. We did the wrong thing, but you met us with mercy and you have granted us this, this wonderful moment. The temple is restored. We were slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection and Jerusalem. His recounting is just like, God, you've been so good. This is where we are right now. But, oh no, verse 10. And now, O oh God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the land and with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. So he's quoting God back to him. He's quoting the laws that he knows that they know, that he knows. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take your daughters for your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon you for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such a remnant as this. So it's just like you've been so gracious to us and you've made it clear as to what the next steps are. He's like, so we, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? You would think not, but would you not be angry with us until you consume us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For no one can stand because of this. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men and women and children gathered to him out of Israel. He's drawn a crowd. His prayer has drawn a crowd. They gathered to him out of Israel for the people wept bitterly. The people wept bitterly. <clears throat> and Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God. We have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is still hope in spite of this. The first point that I would make in reading the first half of our section today is Ezra shows us an appropriate response to sin. 
Ezra shows us an appropriate response to sin. It's helpful to ask, what is the problem? What is the problem here? Um, now, you'd be tempted to talk about in your gospel communities this week. It's just like, oh, okay, so they've gone and married other people. Is that, is that the main problem? It is a problem, but it's not the main problem. What's the main problem? They have forsaken God and his commandments. Like you could get into the nitty gritty of like what this means in terms of, you know, all the all of the secondary things they do, but they've gone and they've basically bought in to the culture of the land that they're in. And that has meant that they have forsaken their God and his commandments. And there is now lo- no longer any purity in their worship of God. And Ezra's reaction to their sin, Ezra's reaction gives the people now a clear reflection, doesn't it? It gives them a spiritual temperature check of their priorities. And his prayer, it now exposes the desperate state that all of Israel is in. Like it's a pretty unique state for Israel, isn't it? Like they've just, it's like as a pig, as a dog returns to its vomit. Now, I mean, we can speculate as to, as to what it is that has brought Israel back to their sin. Like, the, you know, they were living one way, which was obviously wrong. They got booted out. The temple was destroyed, exiled for 70 years. Okay. And they, they, you think 70 years of time out in someone else's bedroom would be enough to like figure out like, oh, probably, probably shouldn't do that again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Intermarrying with the people and like worshiping the God of like child sacrifice in all of the, the deviant acts that came with the other gods. You think that they would have figured that out. The fact that God just didn't go be like, you're done, but instead shows mercy, that God shows his character and shows love and grace. And he's just like, no, I'll keep some of you. I've made promises to you and I won't destroy you. I'll keep a remnant and my people will continue. Do you remember those promises, my people? Abraham will have children and they will, they will multiply and they will be blessed and they will have land. I've brought you back out of Babylonia. There's your land. You're now, you've now got the temple being rebuilt. Now that, now you are being, there's the blessing. And now your families are growing. You think that only just like a hundred something years ago, that they'd be like, yeah, we'd probably, probably don't go back to that. But no. And what was it? They put them back to that. Were they just like a frog slowly being brought to boil in a pot? And they just didn't realize that they began to buy in buy into the culture around them. You know, like, you know, they can see that like when it's normal and acceptable in culture, you know, all of a sudden it's easier to sort of find ourselves doing that too, you know. I don't get judgment from those guys. So that's cool. Yeah, God doesn't judge me on that. Maybe it was that. Maybe their sin was just purely out of convenience. There's women there. We can marry them. I'll take on their gods. It's easy enough. Yeah, maybe. Whatever it is, whatever the reason that the people had fallen back into their sinful ways and dishonoring and the detestable practices that brought shame and dishonor towards God, Ezra in this moment gives an appropriate response to their sin. And in pulling out his beard and his hair and ripping his cloak and praying and just sitting before God and being like, we got nothing. He shows us and he shows them the deceitful nature of sin. Hebrews 3, New Testament, the exhortation to the church even today, it says, take care, brothers and sisters, take care, 
Take care lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. But exhort one another every day, so as long as it is called today. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Be so thankful. Look, you're still, you're still going to doing the trip with Jesus. It's good. I love that passage. You know, so often we just see, you know, there's all of these stories all over the world, you know, deconstruction of my faith. You know, people, you know, that we know of ministers and Christians, they were brought up in homes and then all of a sudden you look at them now, it's like, oh yeah, been there, done that, not being a Christian anymore. You know, it seems like a rarity for someone to actually like see this thing through the end. I don't know, maybe, I'm, maybe it's just the way that my Instagram feed is, is cultivated for me. And we lament over that. But how, look, there's another side there, isn't it? It tells us here, we can, we can encourage one another in their faith and in their journey, can't we? Hey, brother, I'm so glad that you're, that you're trusting Jesus still in this way. Amazing if, imagine if like, that, that, like we were defined by that identity. I'm so encouraged to hear you pray. Like, Erica, I mean, what an amazing evidence of God's grace. You know, we are so encouraged, Erica, by your faithfulness to continue on in the faith. So many of you running the race, fighting the fight, persevering. Exhort one another every day so long as it's called today. When is a good time to encourage your brothers and sisters in trusting Jesus? When is a good time? Well, if you're breathing, it's a good time. And why does he tell them to do that? So that none of you, none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. None of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, here's the hard question that we have to ask as we come to a hard text like this. How do you think Ezra would respond if, he, if one of his officials came and whispered in his ear about the private affairs of your life? Would it be a story of, hey, look, Ezra, there's, it's good that you're back, but you know, there's still a lot of greed and envy going on in here. So a lot of self-fulfillment, overindulgence, lack of self-control, gossip, envy, slander, pride, busybodying. I said at the start that this is a hard text to hear. Because there's some of us here today, like the people of Israel had to, there's some of us here today that have to see it, our sin for what it really is. For some of us, today is the day that we wake up to it for the first time. There's people in, in, in Jerusalem right now, they've, they've been born to these wives of other gods, and that's all they know. They haven't been brought up with the history of the people that they are. And maybe there's some 20-somethings there that are, seeing, that are seeing Ezra lament at the culture that they have just been saturated in. And now that they've heard actually what is good and right for them as someone who is meant to be a child of the living God. But now they're actually seeing what their sin for what it really is. Some of us today need to see our sin for what it really is. For the first time, and some of us 
We need to realize that, yes, we were given a fresh start, weren't we? Brought out of our Babylon of sin, ready to build up a new life upon the foundation that God gave, praising God with and to the new and better temple, Jesus Christ. That's our salvation. We need to realize that with that fresh start, some of us are disgracing it because of the deceitful nature of sin. Ezra displayed a despondency to give a picture of how all of us would be if we could truly see and grasp the reality of our sin. And if that isn't enough to get the severity of dishonouring God, we can also look at the cross, can't we? The cross is our wake-up call to the severity of our sin, isn't it? Ezra's reaction to sin shows how horrific sin really is. Jesus' death for our sin shows us how horrific sin really is, isn't it? Ezra, out out of lament, tears his clothes, pulls the hair out of his beard. Jesus in our place has his clothes stripped off him and his beard plucked for him to go and die in our place for our sin. Some of us today need to see our sin for what it really is. So what then is the next step when the embarrassment and the shame for the realized state of sin before God has set in? What comes next in these stages of grief for sin? There's good news because we don't just stop here, okay? I'm so glad we don't just stop here. I probably wouldn't have come to preach if we just stopped here. I'd still be lamenting my own sin at home. (laughs) We can keep reading. Keep reading. And read chapters, chapter 10 from verse 2. Ezra has prayed. The people are well and truly cut to the heart. Verse 2. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra. You're right, mate. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the people of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Did you hear that? Even now. There is hope for Israel in spite of this. Oh, thank you, Shechaniah. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord. That's important, according to the counsel of my Lord. And and of all those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, Ezra. For it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all of Israel take an oath that they would do what has been said, so they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for there was he was mourning over the faithfulness of the exiles." 
and a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials, the elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the Israel, is of the exiles. So we thought about, first point, what is the appropriate, Ezra gives us an appropriate response to sin. We now have a look at this next section and we see another appropriate response to sin. Our next step in their stages of grief. What do you see here? Ezra's public prayer has gathered an audience. Now, Ezra has revealed the disgusting nature of sin in his reaction for it. But what we also, what we now see in Ezra is, and this was, this is fascinating, but Ezra, he's actually a flawed leader in how to deal with this sin because he's surprised by it, isn't he? And I think at this point, we too need to be a bit disappointed with Ezra's actions. And it should cause us to look for and long for a better leader. So right now, all Ezra's got is, can I borrow a bedroom? Because I just need to go and sit and mourn. And the rest of the people are, whoa, 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 what do we do? According to your prayer, we're screwed. You know, the name Ezra, it means help. And he has helped so far in pointing out something very necessary to the people. They are way off track. The fresh start, they've screwed it up. They're not doing what they should have done. But right now is not that much help, is he? Now, do you know what the name Jesus means? Deliverer. Rescuer. Jesus is the, is the better leader because he's not surprised. Instead, he's prepared, he's prepared to deal with it. So the people here, they're prepared to deal with it. Um, we go on and we see a little bit more of that in a moment. But it is good old Shechaniah. And he makes this very important point. Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and our children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our good Lord. And let it be done according to the law. Let it be done according to the law. If we're going to deal with sin, we need to deal with sin the way God says we need to deal with sin. We can't just, you know, clean ourselves up and do what, do what we think we need to do so that we can be holy before God. The only way that you can be clean and righteous and right before God is the way that God says you've got to be. You know, we often, Master and I will tell our kids to clean their room. Their definition of a clean room very different to our definition of a clean room. I see many parents smiling. It's probably the same in your place too. Now, I want to go straight to Jesus here because I know how we're all feeling about considering our own sin and our own shortfalls and our own filth that we know that we all carry. Maybe it's just me. What is it that we do when we feel like we've completely screwed up the fresh start that God has given us in the good news of the gospel. Because some of us today, we need to hear and we need to realize how disgusting our sin really is. But there's also some of us here today to need to, need to know that falling back into an old sin pattern, 
you need to know that falling back into an old sin pattern doesn't disqualify you from what God has given you. Okay? There is a way of dealing with it according to God's law. According to God's law. What is according to God's law? Person work of Jesus. You want to go to God? You want to be righteous and be able to approach him? What does Jesus say about who he is? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does Jesus say about himself? <clears throat> what does Jesus say about God's love and being able to have reconciliation? Again, a restored relationship, being able to enter back into the holy presence of God. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would be leave in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, Ezra's response to the people's sin, it was lacking. It was embarrassment and surprise, which, you know, is right. But Jesus, his response to our sin, Jesus isn't surprised by it. He's not surprised by it. His response is he fully acknowledges it and he is beautifully sensitive with it. Come to me, all you who are heavy or who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. It says, take my yoke upon you. It says, walk with me. See, Jesus knows what we're like. He knows what people are like. He, he doesn't need us to show us. He knows. He knew. And that's the beauty of his death, isn't it? When he comes down to rescue us, he knew exactly what needed to be done. Growing up as a small, as a, as a, as a young man, I mean, think about what that was like for Jesus, doing Passover every year. Watching that lamb Blood spilled, put on the people for cleansing, the reminder of death to be repayment for sin. Jesus, Jesus would see that and be like, that's going to be me. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my Lord, would die for me? Ezra's response to sin, Ezra, he, he's, he's defeated. He's defeated by his acknowledgement of God's righteous wrath to come. He's got nothing. What do I do? He can't do anything. Jesus' response to sin is he absorbs the righteous wrath in our place, doesn't he? Isn't that awesome? You screwed up? Yeah, you screwed up. But I love you so much and I forgive you. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but I am the free gift of God for eternal life. Hear these words from Isaiah 53. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows. Do you have a godly grief to you, for your sin? Do you have a godly grief for your sin? Like a genuine, I have offended the most high God and for that I am so sorry. Do you have a genuine sorrow for your sin? He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, and with his wounds, we are healed. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Ezra, he retreats to mourn over the sin of the people. Jesus steps forward to mend the sins of the people. I don't know what Ezra was saying as he retreated to that bedroom to just lament and mourn and I don't know. Was he giving up? I don't know. He's praying. I'm sure he's praying. Jesus, in the moment of rescuing us from our sin, he's praying too. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they cast lots and divide his garments. And all through this, Jesus is reassuring you and me that you won't be dropped if you've been deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Repentance is the way of re-clinging to Christ. We live in a world today where if we just stop performing, you're out, aren't you? Now, I don't like using sports illustrations, but this is a good one. AFL coaches, a team has like three bad games and that's your, you're cut, mate, you're done because you suck or your team sucks. You're just a terrible leader. And we see this over and over in our culture today where we have performance reviews. You don't perform at work, you're done, you suck, you're out, you know? And where we become internally wired in the, in the world that we live in where we have to perform, 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 and when you stop performing, you're out and you're done. I think Ezra felt the weight of his culture. It's probably very similar. They would give, they would give, they, would show, they weren't performing and they were showing mercy. And this is like, oh, God's a good boss. And then they didn't perform. And now Ezra's like, oh no, we're going to get cut. But do you know the good news of the gospel? You know the beauty and the reality of Jesus Christ? Jesus is like, I know you won't perform. I performed for you. <laughs> I have lived the life you couldn't live. And I have died the death that you should have died for your performance. And now I come and I've defeated death and I stand alive, victorious over it. And he says, come on. It's like, I'm, we're, you're all imperfect, I know, but I, I, I love you. So come, walk this way. Say sorry for your sin and know that I've dealt with it. Walk this way. Okay? Now I'll remind Israel, look, my forgiveness is an excuse to sin freely. You know, don't use, don't abuse my grace. Like that's, that's important too. That's not the, that's not the sermon today. Don't think, oh, I get an easy apology every time. I'm just going to keep on sinning, sinning. If you're thinking that, look again at the cross. Look at what your sin cost. But the gospel is it's not perform, 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 and then if you don't, you're out. Jesus has brought us in. You are hidden in Christ. Think of your baptism. Believer, Christian, when you were baptized, 
What was that? That was an appeal to God for a good conscience. I'm being joined to Christ. I'm dying with him. My old life has been put to death. I'm being raised again to new life with him. I am joined to Christ. I, my life is hidden with him. The question isn't, can a Christian lose their salvation? It's like, can Jesus lose a Christian? No. Think of the Lord's Supper, the top, the, when we take the bread and the wine. And we remember the broken body and the shed blood of of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. Every time we're going, that's right. Jesus has lived the perfect life for me in my place. And I celebrate that right now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place for my sin that I know that I just can't live perfectly. I'm never going to be sinless, but yes, like Matt McCullough said the other week, I will sin less over time. But I'm walking with you to the end and I declare your return knowing that you're going to come back again. So some of us today need to see that your sin, you need to see it for what it really is. But if you're freaking out because you've just been reminded of it and you're like, oh, I'm going to get cut, we also need to remember that falling back into old sin doesn't disqualify you from what God's given. So then we come to our last point. Our first was an appropriate response to sin. In Ezra's reaction, an appropriate response to sin in what Jesus has done. Let's think about an appropriate response to sin in what the people do. Because that's the thing. It's not just a very, it's not just, oh no, I've sinned, I feel really bad, and then I felt bad, so therefore I'm justified because I felt bad. There's a new walk that we have to walk in. There's a new life that God calls us to. Jesus says, follow me. He says, there's a way that leads to death. There's a way that leads to life. We want to go Jesus' way. So we think about an appropriate response to sin. We'll start with the people. Verse 8. So this, by this point, they've just put a message out across the land and they're like, all right, family meeting, family meeting. We're going to talk about, we've all screwed up, family meeting. Let's talk about how we're going to do this according to God's law, family meeting. And, and it, hilariously, it's like, and if you don't come, you're out. So anyway, like, I didn't read too many commentaries on that, but that's just hilarious. Um, they are all together, okay? And it's actually raining, which is pretty cool, you know? So they do outdoor church too. Anyway, so this is biblical. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling. Holy moly, we're in trouble. Trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You've broken faith, you've married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord. Acknowledge your guilt. Like, own up to what you've done. Don't just feel, like, say it out loud, okay? Own up to this stuff. Make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Do His will and do His will. Confess and do His will, okay? It's not just, it's like a little less conversation and then a little bit more action, okay? Do His will. Then... Do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do what you have said. But the people of many, and this time of, and it it is a time of heavy, heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times and with them the elders and the judges of every city until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. 
Only Jonathan, the son of Ashael, and Jeziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshullam, and Sabiathai, and the Levites, the Levites supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. And then we get a list of all the people that transgressed. We kept a record for it. What's happened here? We see here that they make a plan of how they're going to live in the light of, in the light of their repentance. Now we see here a drastic problem needs a drastic solution, doesn't it? Full on just cutting themselves off from the sin that they had committed. They saw it, they saw what they had done, and they now look forward, they now look forward and plan for what they now have to do. And they have the leadership of Ezra and God's law to make sure that they're doing it right and doing it well. Now, there's four, four key headings here. There's a theme in the way that the people respond to their sin and the way that they look to walking afresh with God again that I think are applicable to us today. And there's some value to what we see the people do. You know, Ezra, he says, he stands up, calls them out. He says, confess and do God's will. And then the people respond. It's just like, yeah, but it's pretty bad, Ezra. Um, like, we can't just deal with this, like, right now, like, this is, this is serious. So we're going to need time. We need, we need a plan. So what do we see? What is sort of the order or the, the, the principles that we see in this section? So firstly, Ezra has, has reminded, we've got purpose, promise, plan, and the people. Purpose. So they've reflected on their purpose in Ezra's prayer and their confrontation. They're reminded that their purpose of God's people is to be in a loving, pure, joyful, protected relationship with God, living as one of his people. Now, of course, when Ezra came and saw what was going on, his prayer and his lament, it, ex- it reminded them of their purpose, didn't it? So they're starting with their purpose. This is how it should be, and we recognize that it's not. That leads to their confession. Their confession, and then they're leaning into the promises of God. These guys, they will have known the book of, Le- of Leviticus. They, will have known, they would have known the law. There is, if you return to me, I return to you. There is a God says, commit, you commit your ways to me and there's forgiveness and there's fresh start and we, we start again. So they're leaning into the promises of God and the promises as well of you will be my people, I will be your God, you will be blessed to be a blessing. This is according to God's law. So they're recognizing their original purpose and then they're remembering God's promises and then they put in place a plan, don't they? They put in place a plan. It's like, okay, we get the leaders of the households, we get the leaders of the, the people or the church or the gathering, and then they figure it out together and then they, they commit that to prayer, okay, and they're thinking about the path forward. And then we see the last one, the people, they live it out together, don't they? It's not insignificant that we get a list of names at the end there. It's not insignificant. They knew who needed help. They all knew who needed support. They were all willing to do the work together in the returning to God. Repentance was a community activity. They were, as you, as you could say, 
exhorting one another every day, so long as it was called that day, so that they would no longer be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what does that look like for us? How do we think about this as a church today? Well, I hope that you've been reminded, the Spirit of God has reminded you of the purpose for your life. I hope that the Holy Spirit has been doing His work in your heart to remind you that you are called to be a child of the living God. That you're not meant to be living in a world of separation from God. That there's actually a joy and a peace that is accessible by being able to come before God the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Like, I hope that that is what has struck your heart and reminded you that actually, you know, there's things in my life that I need to put away, that I need to confess, I need to get rid of. I hope that for all of us today, we've been reminded of that purpose. I hope that all of us today have been able to, have been reminded of the promise as Ezra's people were. We have the same promises from God, but we also have the promises of Christ, promises of the early church, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far I remove your transgressions from you. And maybe even right now you're thinking, well, I need to have a plan to overcome this particular sin in my heart, in my life. You know what? I recognize the ways that I have conformed to the culture around me and what it says is good, but actually I know that when I look at the word of Lord, I know it isn't good. It's a plan that I would encourage you to bring to prayer, bring to prayer, to recognize that, you know, right now in this moment in a church service, it's not going to be a very flippant thought, resonance, boom. Okay. Clear of that. I'm good. Yeah, I'm walking out, I'm refreshed, got the blessing from the priest, I'm all good to go. That's not how it works. There is a walking in obedience with God. We need to plan that out. What are some of the things that God gives us to help with that? And pray. And pray. Trust in God's leading by spirit. Look to Jesus. And what's the last thing he gives us? Last P, the people. Gives us each other. You in a gospel community? Got friends around you that also love Jesus? Jesus wasn't surprised by sin. We don't have to be surprised by sin. Like the, the thing about, the, the, thing about like the church is that we, we come here and we, like the, the thing that is consistent in this place right now is none of us have, anything, have it all together. Welcome. <laughs> I certainly don't have it all together. I certainly need to start every day by saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Help me today to live in honour of you. God gives us the people to work this through together, to pray with, corporate action, the church. So I'd love to encourage you to lean into whatever that might look like for you. Maybe it's with your gospel community. Maybe it's just with one other that you, that you can trust, that you can turn to, that you can say, hey, mate, 
was at church this morning. Ezra 9 and 10, whack me in the face pretty hard. Cut my heart open. There's some blackness in there that I didn't see before. I think that this is an idol for me. I think I need to do some work here. Can you help me with that? I just need some accountability. You know? Like, hey, hey, don't put it on your Twitter account. Like, don't write the list and say that this, they don't need help. You know, we're not doing that, but. You know, maybe it's catching up to read the Bible with someone one-on-one. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> like, uh, uh, maybe I should say, like, some of you know, but, like, this isn't, like, this isn't just a... I don't want you to think that this is a good, good idea that I'm just saying to do. Like, I have people in my life that I do that with. <laughs> like, like it's, a, it's, it's a thing, right? I know, you know, we, we all have things that we do, but our purity... And maintaining our holiness before God and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we want to take intentional discipline steps in doing that. There's two guys I meet with twice, or meet with three times a week. But at least in one of those conversations, they're both going to say, Hey, Louis, how you doing? How is God changing your heart? And is there anything that I can be praying for you that you know that you're repenting of this week? Now, I don't tell you like to be like, oh, he's so holy. I just tell you that because you can do those things. And look, it feels at first it feels a bit like weird and trite and like mechanical. But I think that when we look at Ezra 9 and 10, God wants us to take our holiness seriously. And I'd love for us to be a church that can take our holiness seriously, knowing that we don't do it on our own. Don't do it on our own. We walk with Christ, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, the gift of his church. It's like, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how you can be a solo Christian. I don't know how you can do it. I'm not going to say anything else before I incriminate myself. But. So I don't know where you're at right now after hearing what we've heard from Ezra 9 and 10. I don't know what's going in your heart. I... There's a lot more that I could say. There's a lot more specific sins that I could have outlined, but I've intentionally kept it vague and I've hovered quite high because I just wanted the Spirit of God to do His work on your heart and then I want you to take that and run with that and run back to Jesus, okay? So I'm going to do something really simple now. I'm just going to read a prayer of confession and recommitment towards God. You know, the people, they made a covenant Back towards God. You know, that's like a, that's like a solemn, I think it's the message says that's a solemn promise. And I want that for you guys today to be a solemn promise back towards God, knowing that you can, knowing that God, he doesn't stand there like this. It's not like Ezra who's just like, oh, this is his posture. This is his posture, welcoming the prodigal son home. So I'm going to lead us in a very simple Anglican prayer of confession. I'm going to read it slowly. And if there's something that right now that the Spirit is pressing on your heart, I'd love for you to pray it in your heart with me as you hear the words read. And even be praying, God, who is it that I can take this journey with that you have given me in this church family so that we might pursue holiness and honouring of God together? I'm going to pray.
Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people. We acknowledge with shame the sins we have committed, sins of thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We acknowledge our sin. We earnestly repent and we are genuinely sorry for our misdoings. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. Have mercy on me, most merciful Father. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive all that is past and grant from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life to the honour and glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who is great in mercy, you have provo provo promised forgiveness of sins to all who with heart-based repentance and with true faith who turn to you, you have mercy on us. Pardon and deliver us from our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all your goodness and keep us in your eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you genuinely were praying that prayer today about something that's in your heart, I want you to hear these words from Scripture. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This saying is sure and worthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the perfect, the perfect, the perfect offering for our sins. Church, be encouraged today that you can turn to Christ and that you can know that your fresh start is not foregone if you feel like you've fallen back into an old sin habit. I hope that you can take the prayers that you've said today and you can put them into action and that there's someone that you can speak with that in your life that you know and trust and that you know also knows and trusts and loves Jesus and that you can walk a new path with them. And let me also say that prayer of confession and repentance and acknowledgement of sin, we should also get used to saying that prayer because we will continue to sin we will wrestle with its deceitfulness. But if there's anything else that you hear today, it's, it's to remember this. We can return to the foot of the cross 
And remember that our sins, past, present, and future, are are paid for by Jesus. And he always, always, always welcomes us home when we respond in genuine godly sorrow for what we've done. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.